Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics. And uh, a couple of you have got in touch about one of the first, well, the first episode we did, Ben, with uh, fantastic Nikki's story. For those of you not heard of it, it was first episode we recorded. We recorded it in our favourite haunted pub, right? Yeah. God, that <laughs> seems like a lifetime ago. It does seem like a lifetime ago. And what we did, it was it was basically a two-parter, and it's always sat on our website as two parts. And uh, I've talked to a few people, and a few people have got in contact saying, oh, I didn't realise there was a second part to it, and you did a follow-up. I've only heard the first bit. Um, so what what we've decided to do is basically compile it together in one episode really so it's easier to find and it was such a great episode to do that we thought it was worth a revisit anyway wasn't it yeah absolutely and and i do think to get the most out of it you do need to hear the second part because uh that's sort of uh that's the big reveal really yeah yeah and uh when we found nikki and she told us this story we we were amazed and then we did this second part, which is kind of the paranormal investigation, right? And we thought we weren't really going to find any information out about what Nikki and the psychics had told us. But what we found was just amazing, and we brought Nikki back for a second episode to kind of reveal. So here is our little compilation of the two episodes all in one place. Uh, uh, so you can either enjoy it again, or if it's new to you, you can enjoy it for the first time. You can also see if we've improved over the episodes that we've done. Spoiler if you alert, like us more, we yeah. definitely have. <laughs> yeah, if you like us more then than you do now, then we'll be like really like, oh God, what are we doing wrong? But um, well, enjoy uh, Nikki's story, also known as The Railway Murders. There's somebody I want to introduce you Two, who uh, is the teller of the story and it happened to her I got to know her through walking our dogs together and she seemed like the most unlikely person to have uh, a paranormal tale to tell and then when she found out about this project she uh, let rip with a tale that really made me kind of step back and go goodness uh, I've that's extraordinary um, and so probably the best thing I could do is introduce you to her now uh, this is Nikki hello so um, could you just tell us what do you what do you do for a living now because I think that's slightly pertinent to the whole thing yeah okay so uh, now I'm teaching uh, in a primary school um, working with uh, children with all sorts of uh, learning difficulties. I also work with children that don't have learning difficulties. Um, I assist the school. I caretake for the school. Um, I work in a very lovely little school in the middle of a village. And it's very old and ancient. It's actually a thatched schoolhouse. It's quite a unique little thing. It's beautiful. Yeah, so very happy where I'm at, but that's not what I always did. Yeah. No. So this, the story that you've got, when you first told me it, I was... I was kind of blown away because it's the stuff it's the stuff of films really. It starts what 11 years ago really. Yep. Yep, I'd say. Yep. So could you just describe what where were you in your life and what was the very first moment because the the thing that you described that happened the very first time sent chills down my spine. Mhm. Mhm. So I think it's hard to put a fine point on when it actually all started happening, to be honest, because it's sort of, 
it only really came to my mind much, much later uh, that, that something untoward was happening. But basically, um, I had separated from my husband. Uh, we'd been living in this house in Ilma for quite some years. And um, we, we were pretty poles apart. You know, it's quite a tumultuous time, I would say. Uh, there was a lot of adjustment and my children were very young. They were sharing a bedroom uh, in bunk beds and they loved sharing a bedroom and, you know, it was a very kind of cosy scene in there. And my son, who incidentally had not had sleeping problems like my daughter had had before, he started waking up in the night several times, uh, especially around the two, three o'clock in the morning time, you know, when you're in your deepest, darkest sleep. I'd wake up to my son crying and, and sometimes I'd leave him and sometimes he'd go back to sleep but then he'd wake up again or sometimes he'd wake up in a real hysteria and I'd go straight in and and, and try and settle him. And he's about two and a half at this point? At this point he's about yeah. two and a half. Um, so this was happening at least, I don't know, five times a week. Uh, so you can imagine I'm not getting much sleep now um and it's getting desperate and I, and I was rushing to him more than not now because I was worried that he was going to wake up my daughter and if she woke up then I'd have two children awake and you know it would just be an ever decreasing circle so I would go to him and the odd thing was that he would always be happy to see me he was always a bit of a mummy's boy if I'm honest but in these moments he would hug me very very tightly but then he would push me away. He would push me out of his arms. He wanted to get away from me and look at me and say, no, 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 get away, get away. But then he would come back into his sort of sleepy mode and his eyes would close again and he'd hug me tight. Mummy, 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 help me, mummy, help me, mummy. So he would look at me as if I was somebody else. And that was obvious to me. But I know that children have dreams and they don't always wake up. And I was fully explaining a lot of this away. Um, but this was happening more and more and more. And of course, I'm getting desperate. So I took him to the doctor. I tried to rationalise it, tried to get them to help me. OK, let's make the bedroom cooler because children tend to have bad dreams a lot when they're hot. We moved Theo down from the top bunk down to the bottom bunk so that he was on the kind of cooler part of it. The heating was never on in his room. In fact, I'd switched it off an hour before we all went to bed. So I'm trying to eliminate the possibilities of him waking up and having bad dreams. But it's not going away. And it just keeps on happening. He then starts mumbling things. Um, when I'm asking him questions, he's mumbling things that are almost incoherent and one night it, it sort of I made sense of it and he said no the man the man and he kept saying about the man and I'd say what man and he'd say he's going to hurt me that was the first thing that he would say uh, and then he'd say he's got a stick with a sharp thing on the end of it he only said that to me once um, but subsequently later down the line when things started unfolding, somebody else said that to me as well. So at, at this point, this sounds, like you say, this sounds like it could be a nightmare. Uh, a recurring nightmare. A recurring nightmare. It could be 
a fantasy. It could be, you know, you've seen something scary on the telly. I distinctly remember saying to my mum I was scared of werewolves because I'd seen American Werewolf in London from behind the sofa where my parents didn't know I was there. That that sort of thing. Yeah. So <clears throat> at this point, you're just thinking, I have a child who isn't sleeping, they're having bad dreams, but this is affecting your health at this time. Massively, yeah. And, and you said you were going through quite a tumultuous time, so you must have thought, well, this kind of makes sense because of what's going on. I right? could explain it all away, and that's what you do, and that's what I did do. And at no point did I think that there was anything suspicious going on. Yeah. And I would be desperate and talking to my friends about it and saying, you know, this is going on, I can't get him to sleep, it's going to happen all the time. It's always in the middle of the night. It was always around three o'clock, he was awake, always. Um, He didn't want to come into my bedroom for comfort. You know, there were things that weren't really making sense. Lots of friends were brilliant, they gave me lots of good advice. I tried everything. The doctors were okay, I tried everything. He went to see a sleep doctor at the hospital they kind of made me feel a bit like there was nothing to worry about. So, you know, I'm trying to kind of get eliminate all the things that it could possibly be, and it's not working, and it's driving me mad, actually. And, and at this point, there's, there's something that happens in the house that you dismiss, right? That was before. Right, OK. So when my husband and I were still together, are we talking about the wardrobe? Yeah, When my husband and I were still together, we often used to put the children to bed and cuddle on the sofa whilst we were watching a programme. And one evening, a bright light absolutely categorically came down the stairs and took the form of a little girl and walked into the wardrobe that was in the hallway where we kept our coats. Now, we both sat up, looked at each other. Not one of us said anything, but then he said, did you see that? I said, did you see a little girl? And he said, I did. So then we've both got that horrible, chilly sort of goosebumps feeling. We then trying to rationalise it and... We lived in the middle of nowhere, but occasionally cars would go past us up the lane. And this had never happened before, but we thought maybe car headlights had been shining from something. A reflection had come through the glass of the doors and a trick of the light. Um, And we never really spoke about it again, but there was absolutely no doubt that we'd both seen the same thing. But but it didn't turn you into a believer. You didn't think, oh, my house is haunted. Nope. You, you probably, you, am I right in thinking, you're thinking, gosh, what an interesting optical illusion. Absolutely. Right, yeah. right. At right. every point. Right. You know, you do that. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because the chances of a, a little girl forming out of some light and walking into your it's not wardrobe real. seems very small. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so, by the, so, so this hasn't changed your opinion. And then you fast forward a little bit and... Your child is misbehaving. But again, there's nothing there that would make you think that this is anything paranormal. This is just a child with some sleep difficulties and it's causing you health problems. It was a recurring nightmare and I was knackered. Yeah. I'm talking to my friends. I'm desperate. At that time, 
I'd been talking to my friends about what I should do, I was getting desperate about finding an answer. And I kept noticing a van that would drive past me. Didn't matter where locally I was, but I seemed to drive past this van a lot. And even the first time I saw this van, I saw Amy Psychic Medium written on the side. Um, It kind of looked a bit like, you know, the magical mystery bus of uh, Scooby-Doo. The mystery machine. The mystery machine, that's the one. Um, And it was beautifully hand-painted. Anyway, I kept seeing it. And then one day, a friend of mine said to me, it sounds like your son's possessed. Literally like a joking, flippant thing. And then something sort of hit me and I thought, what is that? I mean, maybe he is. So I'm now thinking, I've got to do something about it, but what do I do about it? I don't know what to do. Um, do I get a bicker? But when you say possession to you, what does that mean? It, 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 for me, for before my experience, I would have said if anyone had mentioned possession, they'd have been speaking of a memory that some film Like The had. Exorcist or something, yeah. Precisely. Yeah. Uh, and I'd have thought that that was some kind of fable. Um, but when my son was upset in the middle of the night, he was somebody different. He was crying in a different tone. He was really disturbed. And even when he was coming into consciousness and then out of consciousness, he would change remarkably from being very scared to being soothed by mummy's comfort. And these things would happen. He would push me away and he would come in for the cuddle. This may happen 10 or 20 times in one episode, which may last over an hour. Um, I I believe uh, we may listen to it now. We have... um we have some recording of you recording your son talking about some of these experiences. Do you want to just explain what, what we we're about to listen to? So what was going through my mind was that actually I'm on my own here. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to help my son. And with all the people that were involved in trying to get to the bottom of what was going on with him, nobody had actually heard what I had heard. And it may seem a bit of a weird thing to do is to record your child having a really bad nightmare. It's a bit weird, but I couldn't describe it in the way that I was feeling it. And so I was desperately needing somebody else to listen to this because was I mad because I was completely exhausted? Was I getting it wrong? Was I putting words into my son's mouth? I needed somebody else's opinion. So I did record it. And actually, interestingly to me, the night that I did record it, I didn't get as much as I would have done having not recorded it. And more had happened before I got my phone out. So yet again, we come into that territory of you could explain it away. Maybe the recording that I had made wouldn't have given an accurate picture. Somehow, perhaps something knew that I was going to record it and wouldn't allow the same experiences to come across. And what I was feeling when my son was going through that was was utter helplessness. And as I've said before, I consider myself a very strong person. 
and there was nothing I could do for him. Okay, well, let's have a little listen to some of those uh, extracts now. Yes, darling, mummy's here. Calm down. Okay, you can calm down, that's okay. You don't have to worry. All right, you calm down in my arms, yeah? Mummy's here. You can relax now, baby. You're scared of what, man, darling? Freaking you out. I can't remember my man. You can't remember him? I can't sleep in my bed. You can't sleep in your bed? <laughs> Whose bed do you want to sleep in then, darling? Hmm. So, how, how does it feel listening back to that now? Well, it's not very nice, if I'm honest. You know, it was a long time ago, and I'm and I'm hearing that again, and I'm thinking, oh God, I, I need to help him, and I can't help him. It brings back an awful lot of desperation for me. It's funny, isn't it? How 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 things can do that. But also, this is in the middle of the night, and it's just you and the two small children, and he's talking about the man. I mean, I get scared just walking to the toilet now and I'm a grown, I'm <laughs> I a grown man I don't because um, I imagine all sorts of things your imagination runs wild I think that's you know maybe that's just me but did did that send shivers up your spine when he said that or did you just think because at that time um, you hadn't encountered all the, the stuff that was to come did you just think oh well it's it's that nightmare again I had no idea what was going to unfold and Unless you've had an experience that will bring you that close to the edge, there's no way that you could feel in any way scared about it because you just think you're explaining it away. Uh, Now I hear it, I'm thinking I'm so stupid not to have picked that up before. So... And your other child, were they experiencing anything at that stage or just, just your... No, she wasn't. And interestingly enough, she hardly ever woke up when he woke up. Right. And how, how old is she? She was 18, no, 16 months older okay. than him. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, Angel. No, 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 that's fine. So, you know, I'm thinking I've tried everything. Why don't I just give this girl a call and see if she's interested in my story or if it's something that she can help me with or if she can put me in touch with somebody who can. Sure as eggs is eggs, I see her car parked, her van parked. I get the number and I called her and she answered almost immediately and very friendly voice. Oh yeah, hi there. And I said, oh, I'm having some issues with my son and I'm just wondering if this sounds like something you can do. I'm wondering if he's somehow being possessed or maybe somebody's trying to speak through him or something like that. She said, oh, great. You know, she's very enthusiastic. 
she said, well, I can definitely come see you. Um, you know, let's fix up a time. And she did that very quickly. Um, but we, we've spoken about this before. When you said those things to her, you're not coming at that as a, okay, that is now what I entirely believe. This no. is the product of someone who is coming to the end of their tether. You, you mentioned that you were trying to do um, some difficult sort of jobs as well. You're going through a difficult period and this child not sleeping is adding to that. So you, you're sort of going through a bit of a script of it, these are the things that would be happening if she could help. Therefore, I'll say that, but I, it could be literally anything. Is it fair to say your mind was a bit more open, but if someone said to you, is your child possessed hand on heart, you'd probably go no. I would have definitely said no, yep. because that's not something that... It, that's the stuff of films. Right, exactly. And that's the stuff of bad dreams. Yep. That's not my experience of this world. And, and had you had any interaction with clairvoyants or psychics no. in the past? No. this was. I, it's fair to say that I may have been interested in it, but I was a sceptic. Right. I'm interested in it to a certain point, but yeah. you can explain it all away. So I've been to the doctor, I've been to the sleep doctor at the hospital, I've been doing everything I can to keep the room cool, to eliminate the possibility of this happening, and it's not happening, and I'm at the end of my tether, so I'm desperate. Yeah. I want to try everything I can. So I'm thinking, well, she seems like a nice enough lady, I'll give it a go. So Amy comes to meet me at the house, and she parked her van up in the drive, and she comes in the kitchen and she sort of looks immediately at the, at the back of the kitchen, which is the kitchen door that goes through into the house, into the hallway, into the lounge and the dining room and the study. And she pulls out a chair from the island that we had in the middle of the kitchen and she said, I'm just going to sit here if that's OK. And I said, of course, would you like a cup of tea? You know not thinking anything, and, and, and she said, no, I'm fine. I'm not going to go in there if that's okay. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine. And she immediately just went into it. She said, there's, there's a lot of energy coming through your house. I'm feeling like it's starting up here. She's pointing to the top right corner. She said, it's coming from the top of the house. It's winding its way down the stairs, and it's going out your door. Wow. So she mentioned the stairs as well. She mentioned the stairs. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, let's just go with this. I've got her here. I don't know what she's talking about. I'm going to listen to what she has to say. And how did you feel when she was saying this? What was your... I'm slightly worried because I've got the children in the house and I don't want them feeling that there's anything going on. And my children are particularly nosy. So they wanted to come and be in the kitchen while Amy was there and she's saying this stuff and my mind's thinking, oh my God, what am I doing? This is a big mistake. You know, they're going to... She's going to start worrying them. They're going to start thinking there's something wrong. This is going to make things worse, not better. But uh, I'm in this situation now. I can't just say, sorry, thanks for your time. I could have done, but I'm not a rude person. So she keeps going on uh, and she says, I'm sitting uh, around, I'm in a flower bed. There's vegetables and flowers growing here. I'm feeling really safe. There's sun coming at me from here and I'm feeling safe in here. But over there, I don't want to be. 
She says it's damp, it's mulchy, it's not a good energy. She then said, I can't help you, but I know somebody that can. She says she's not going to charge me for the session. She then gives me lots of advice. She says, I've got to go around my house clapping in all the corners of the rooms, every single room. I've got to buy some sage to burn around the house. I've got to bring laughter and music into the house. I've got to, I've got to um, wake up the vibrancy of the house. I've got to shake the vibrations. I've got to make it really a positive place to be. She asked me to get poems of really nice things and put them on the walls, especially in the hallway. So she's giving me advice, but she's not asking for a penny. She immediately gives me uh, the name of a woman called Maria. And she said, she can help you. Um, I don't know what her availability is, but give her a call. And, and and you you said mulch there. We've been through this story before, and that's an important mm, word, isn't it? It is an important word. Again, that word gets repeated three times throughout. Yeah. Um, so it's just all a bit weird now, and and I'm thinking, a I've got to get the dinner on, <laughs> but b you know where am I going with this? What 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 is this? Well, I'm not going to ignore it because I've done this now. I'm going to see it through. So I gave Maria a call. She didn't answer her phone, but she got back to me, uh, I think that evening or maybe the very next day. We arranged a time. She came that Saturday. So I think this was about the Wednesday. And she came on the Saturday and she said on the phone, do you mind if I bring a friend of mine, Gloria? Um, I work with her quite a lot and she's brilliant. And I said, no, I, I really don't mind at all. That's absolutely fine. Um, so she didn't tell me to go and get sage or anything it was Amy that advised me to go and get these things so but actually so between me calling Maria her booking an appointment to come and see me on the Saturday um, and I'm see, and having seen Amy I have gone to a shop in Princess Risborough I've looked up online where to buy the sage uh, and there's like plinky plonky music and stuff and uh can't just go to Waitrose, it has to be special. It's got to be a special place. But I'd, interestingly enough, I'd noticed that this crystal shop had appeared in Risborough some months before. So it was all a little bit sort of serendipitous. And, and yes, they had sage. So I went into this shop with the children. It's full of crystals. It's really beautiful. And I'm going in the shop and the children are young, you know, and there's crystals everywhere and it's beautiful. And they've got their hands over everything. I'm thinking, ah, don't touch, don't touch. But I'm looking at the crystals, even though I'm in there to buy the sage, I'm just drawn to them. And I'm bending down and I've got my very large handbag on my shoulder, but swung over onto my back so that when I'm bending down, my back's supporting the weight. And I'm looking at these beautiful crystals and all of a sudden my bag gets knocked off my back and swings down and I just about save it from crushing all the crystals in the nice glass shelves. And I... Just quickly turned and went, oh, I'm sorry. And there was nobody there. The woman behind the counter went, <laughs> gave us chuckle. She said, that happens a lot in here. <laughs> so I'm thinking, okay. She said, um, somebody followed you when you came into this shop. 
can you smell tobacco? And I said, no, no, I can't. She said, I'm getting a whiff of tobacco. She said, it's okay, it's not going to hurt you, but there's a man and he's pretty tall and he's got these overalls on, done up with braces. He's quite a big, strong man. And he's filthy, you know, from his knees down. He's got muck all over him. And it's like there's this kind of bogginess that's coming with it. It's like a mulch. There's that word again. And I'm thinking, right, okay. Uh, And I said, oh, um, uh, by the way, I'm in here to buy some sage. You know, moving it on a little bit, thinking, again, I've got the children. What am I doing? What are these poor children being subjected to this is really wrong as a parent so quickly go and get my sage um go and i buy some music i think i bought a few candles and actually i think i bought a little crystal for the children each you know because they're over all over the place and it calms them down a bit so that was all a bit odd really um and i'm starting to feel a little bit freaked out but really because I'm still not really thinking that there is anything in this I'm kind of going with it because I've got to I've got to eliminate this possibility so as soon as I get home I burn the sage it's literally there's white smoke in the whole house it it burns like nothing else and it's you know hugely white everywhere I've got to go in the wardrobes I've got to go in every corner of my house I've got to do my clapping um, and then after the sage has been burnt everywhere, I then have to open all the windows and doors and then let that smoke go out. So I've done this little ritual. I'm tickling the children. I'm dancing around the kitchen to this music and, you know, just generally being a goof, really. And I, that's done. I'm just now going along the rest of my late week. It's probably Friday by now. I can't really remember. Um, and Saturday's creeping on and I'm getting a little bit apprehensive about Maria and Gloria coming. But again, I've got to get this done. And doing all those things in the short term, did it? Did you feel that it made a difference nope. or anything? You just thought, what am I doing burning sage, basically? I just thought, yeah. well, I'll give it a go. Yeah, fine. So Maria and Gloria turn up. Gloria is this sort of ethereal, what I would call a sort of will-o'-the-wisp character. She's... She's really breathy and light and airy and she's got her hair in a sort of tight dyed red bun. She's got a really smiley face with those lovely apple cheeks. Um, She's just not the regular person that I have walking through my door. Maria's quite short, again, lovely lady, nice and smiley. And I'm talking to Maria about what's going on. Meanwhile, Gloria's made a beeline for my dining room, which is through the kitchen door, through the hall, and directly in front of you. And she's going in and she's going out. And and whilst I'm telling this story, Gloria's sort of murmuring small things to Maria. I'm not really paying attention to what she's saying. And Maria said, there's a lot going on here, darling and I need to get to work. So I'm busying the children, getting stuff ready for their lunch. Maria's up in the house. She's got this big owl feather, and she's doing sage. 
and she's saying things. Um, and Gloria is in this dining room and she comes out like, whoosh, like with a burst of wind. She said, look, look, darling, look at this. Look at this. And she shows me the back of her neck and her hairs are standing straight out, like horizontally, but dead straight, as though she's got static electricity in her hair. And she said, oh, my God, I just had the most amazing experience. Maria comes down the stairs and Gloria says to me, does the name Reg mean anything to you? And I said, no. She said, oh, darling, this is amazing. His wife's been waiting for him for over a 100 years. He's afraid of retribution and he doesn't want to pass over to the other side because he thinks he's going to be in trouble. And here it comes. Here comes the story. Somebody did his wife wrong. It wasn't clear whether he had assaulted her sexually or physically or something. But it was enough to make Reg, the husband's blood boil. And they are working in the same vicinity, but some way away from this other guy. And Reg makes a long-handled object with a sharp knife on the end, and he kills the other man. So he murders who has wronged his wife. Therefore, he's obviously afraid of judgment. Now, this is the story that I am told. I'm thinking, oh God, here we go. And had you, I mean, you mentioned earlier your child saying about the, the stick with the sharp thing. Uh, had you told them that? or uh, No. No, okay. I hadn't told them that. And that was one of the hooks that made me swallow because I'm thinking, oh my God. Now, as the story unfolds, because they stay for quite a while, they tell me, that my house had been built on the land that the outbuildings and the sheds for the heavy horses and cattle that were helping to build the railway were kept in. And Reg was there to keep the cattle and the horses and to use them and to drive them to haul these heavy iron steels or whatever they are that build railways. Where we were standing in the shed was the dining room. It was mulchy. It was boggy. It was an animal shelter. Now, there had always been, here we go, a smell. I'm not going to lie, it was like a damp, churchy smell. And I've often heard people say about this funny smell. We'd had a survey done on the house, a really decent survey, because we had really upped our game to buy this house. And we needed to make sure that we weren't buying a lemon, you know. And no damp came out on the survey, not a tiny bit. Yet this dining room had always smelled damp. So there are a few things that are starting to kind of fit together now. And I'm feeling slightly wobbly but slightly grateful that I'd got to this point. Now 
Gloria helped Reg pass over to the other side that day. And so she was feeling huge elation and feeling probably his soul being lightened or something like that. Did she say how she'd done that or did you know how she did She didn't that? say. And I didn't ask. You know, going back, I'd love to ask her. There are so many things I'd like to ask these lovely ladies. Again, they didn't want payment. Um, so when we'd sort of wrapped everything up, Maria said to me, that there was an enormous amount of energy coming from the railway. And guess where the railway was? Top right of the kitchen. She's pointing in that direction. It comes from the railway through the house. On the first flight of the stairs going up the hall to the landing, she said that wall on that bit of square had a portal coming through and there was an enormous amount of energy running through my house and, and in what, what is your understanding of what that means what, what would a, if you can explain what a portal was so I again I didn't ask but mm. I've seen enough sci-fi films to know that that could be some kind of a thing from another world an, an opening a doorway a, a, a sort of entrance or exit, perhaps. Yeah, it's funny, as you were talking about it, I was thinking about, you know, those scenes in Poltergeist where they're kind of going right. through. And... or there's a series on at the moment, His Dark Materials. Yeah. That sort of walking through into worlds from other worlds. And she said, it's all right, I've closed it. Reg isn't here anymore. This is cleansed. You should be fine now. And she said, by the way, did you know that there's a little girl standing next to you? <laughs> oh, my God. I said, no. She said, it's all right. She's not going to do you any harm. She, she adores you. She wants you to be her mum. Before I'd got Amy involved to get Gloria and Maria involved, I often would stay up late working at night in the study, which is, again, off that very same hallway. And I was often really tired. Two, three o'clock in the morning, often I would work till because I was dealing with America a lot at the time. And one night I was sure I'd heard sobbing, like a child crying. And of course, my instant thing is to go upstairs and check the children and make sure they're all right and they're dead asleep. And then it happened again some months afterwards. And I sure as eggs as eggs went upstairs and didn't sit there any longer that night. But doesn't that kind of make sense? That there's this child attached to me and that I'd heard sobbing and that I'd seen the form of a young girl going into this wardrobe in the hallway. I mean, it's it's just, you can't make it up. And the the... The young girl, did that tie into the story with Reg at all, or is that something separate? Completely separate. Right. But I suppose if you've got a portal in your house, <laughs> that kind of stuff can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. So as soon as um, these people had come to your house, they, they, they'd done this work, Reg had passed over. Um, did you notice a change in the house at all, like immediately? or Theo a... never had a bad dream like it. Wow. It never happened again. Oh. And speaking to him, he, he, he knows about Reg, right? He remembers. He remembers. 
And and he thinks it's real. He thinks it's real. Yeah. So how so did you suddenly at that moment go okay this can't all be made up then? Yeah. For me my mind was pretty made up because you know how can it all of a sudden stop? And mm. how can Someone who I've never met before, whose shop I'm standing in, see some chap in his overalls. And... And you think that was Reg? Gloria had described Reg as a chap with overalls on. And those correlations were just too significant for me to think that that wasn't something... And And what they said about the house and the kind of history of the house, did you look into that at all? Have you you checked whether... Do you know, I haven't. I think because, for me, my life's so fast and busy. I'm moving on to the next thing all the time. Now, I'm convinced of what happened, and I'm happy with the result. So, so in a way, maybe you don't want to know. I don't really need any more confirmation because my problem is solved. Mm-hmm. Um, what has happened to me since is that I will never question if anybody says anything in that way. I, there is no way I can explain away somebody else's thoughts, feelings or experiences. It's, it's, it's made me aware that there are things that regular people cannot explain and that somehow... There are people out there that really do know that this stuff is going on. And the, the problem is, is that, you know, I've spoken to so many people about this and they just think I'm mad. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think I'm mad. I think I'm open now. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that uh, both of your kids said the same thing. They said that um, they were very open-minded because of this. And we had that conversation when we were preparing for this podcast. And you said to them, what do you think? This is in no way. You haven't influenced them at all. They've drawn their own conclusions from this. And they both come across as having very mature world views. And it feels like their um, sense of how everything works, they, 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 it seems like they question a lot of stuff, but they, they're not up for poo-pooing people. They want to understand what people really think. And that it seems like that they would point to this experience as being something that helped them reach that opinion, become more open-minded about the world. They've spoken to me since it's happened. Um, it's been some years now. And they've said to me, Mum, do you remember when that happened? And I say, yeah, darling, I do. And they say, will it ever happen again, do you think? And I say, I, I don't know. I guess in a way, there may be a bit of a reluctance to really know what Reg did or rather read the opinion of somebody else who found out of what Reg did because I don't want to feel that perhaps my son was being taken over by somebody who was completely horrible. That's... A possibility. Yeah. Mm. But I also do know that 
I've accepted it and I feel okay now and I'm not scared of it because there is no greater sign for me than the fact that Theo never had a bad dream like that again. He's had other dreams. In fact, he now has dreams where he's giggling. So maybe it is happening again. (laughs) Better giggling than the other. Exactly. But I I think (coughs) that's the whole point for us ever deciding to do this project is um, most of the world, if they haven't experienced it or just live in a very narrow reality, they don't want to talk about it. Because the truth is, these things happen. And it might be that um, there might be another level to what you were doing. Maybe, you know, maybe Reg, maybe he was a demon. Maybe he was something worse than what he thinks he is. Maybe that's a deception. But the fact that uh, what happened happened and you are entirely sane and lead an entirely normal life is is the thing that surprises not well not surprises but i think other people find very hard to accept because i think people put these stories into the category of well if you go to a ufo convention you meet somebody who claims that they have tea with the venusians on the dark side of the moon every other thursday <laughs> and they've got great laps on seashell or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but how where where do you, where does one draw the line and it's because it's very hard to draw that line because who am I to say he's not having tea with the Venusians on the dark side of the moon? It seems infinitely unlikely, but it also seems infinitely unlikely that a small girl would come and attach herself via a portal through exactly. that wall. But the evidence is all there. Yeah. And so has it changed your world view? Do you think about things in a different way? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I changed my view that day that Gloria and Maria came round because the they sort of tied up the loose ends for me really and it was a sort of I guess I feel a little bit as though I've been going through my life with blinkers on this has happened to me a few times in my life not uh, an experience like that but feeling that I've been living my life with blinkers on because there have been two or three experiences that I've had, this being one of them, where my eyes are just broadened to mm. seeing and feeling and thinking other things. And, and, and I'm grateful for that, because I think that that's, that's a very powerful thing. Powerful thing. I think the other, the other thing that's interesting is, like I said, I know a little bit about the story, but I didn't know, you know, much detail. And it was interesting, in the early parts of you talking to people coming to the house, the kind of cynic in me was kind of going, oh, well, this is, it sounds like some kind of con. You get the first person to come around, say they're doing it for free, then you get, you know, and, it, yeah. and actually that, yeah, that must have gone through your mind as well. But the fact that, you know, I can't see anyone who's really gaining out of this unless, well, unless it's the sage marketing board who kind of (laughs) promoting sage. You have to be creating a lot of stories (laughs) to make a good profit on that. Yeah, it's a long way to go for a tenor, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Well, so Gloria and Maria, I I was immediately endeared to them. There was something about their personalities that was very comforting immediately. And I'm not 
when I meet people, I don't have an agenda of what I want to get out of somebody. Even in a situation like that, I take people as I find them. But there was definitely something lovely about them. And especially Gloria, who was just this, <gasps> this breathy will-o'-the-wisp. Um, and what they did say is that they found that it was a very interesting village. And do you, did I think I knew of any other stories like that in the village? And I said, well, no, I don't, but... My children and I are very drawn to the hermit's house. Now, there's a public footpath, there's quite a few through Ilma, and one of them takes you to a field with an orchard in it. And in, in and amongst the brambles, there is a self-built tiny house. It's a shell of a house now. And then there's sort of corrugated iron with brambles all over it derelict and it's completely ruined but we used to go in there quite a lot because I'm quite adventurous and I enjoy getting my kids outdoors and I did mention this to them and right there and then they took themselves off I mean, they didn't have the right shoes or anything and they took themselves off and I'm still getting on oh, I've got to get things done for the kids and we've got to go here and we've got to go there and as I'm coming back from the food shop they're coming back down the lane and they said oh my goodness there's so much going on you know they they what they wanted was more of those experiences they loved what they do they weren't there for um for gaining money they just wanted to help people true altruism i don't even know what that word means uh, uh, being altruistic just um existing not for mercenary means but just to be decent honest helpful people well I think also they know they've got a gift yeah. and if Gloria's yeah. getting so much out of sending Reg's soul to yeah. go and be with his wife who's been desperately waiting for her how do I know that's not true you know if she's feeling that and I mean that's a pretty special feeling to be able to do that mm. so that's what they do it for just the same way that I work with children and I get so much back because if one of those children can get something in a day, I feel like I've done something. And have you kept in contact with them at no. all? No follow-up? So it's, yeah, okay. No. Yeah. So one day, maybe we can all be ghosts too. Well, you better watch out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. I really like it. Well, Ben, so. you often smell of mulch. <laughs> it's all Superdrug had left. <laughs> Well, thank you. That is quite an astonishing story. I've never heard anything quite like that. So honest and obviously real and something that was so life-changing. And I hope that people who hear it become more open-minded to these things and don't start poo-pooing it. Because if everything there is true, it's not supernatural. It's just part of science. It's just part of how the world works. Yeah. Well, you know, if I can give anyone comfort in them listening to this, you know, I'm open to talking to people about this. It doesn't bother me. You know, if, if, uh, if it offers any of your listeners any comfort or makes them realise that they're not actually mad because people have told them so, then that's a good thing. Well, hopefully you'll come back and join us really soon. If you'll have me back, of don't know course. what I'm going to say next because I haven't got any other stories. But maybe, hopefully not. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, Nikki. That's been amazing. That's thank all you. Right. Thank you.
I have to say, I found kind of Nikki's uh, story very, very intriguing. And for me, I think the thing that came across was she wasn't necessarily a believer in this stuff. And she's, she may be still not be a believer in this stuff. She just know, knows that it worked for her and that her kind of problem, hopefully, has gone away. But uh, really interesting. Yeah. Well, also, I think there's, you, you, there's no, there's, she's got nothing to gain from from this at all she hasn't written a book she didn't get paid to come on here um if it wasn't true i mean as you know i i I went around to see her at her house and um her kids talk about it in a very matter of fact way and you know they're they're young they've also got nothing to gain in fact they've got a lot to lose i imagine that it's quite um challenging to bring this up in the playground if you're 11 or 12 but I did notice that um, when I talked to them about it they seem very open-minded to this it doesn't seem to them that this is a strange thing to happen they just take it as a fairly matter-of-fact thing that happened but it's remarkable that you know the majority of people that you mention this to they will try and explain it away with it was a psychological disorder um, it was just a child making up stories. But that doesn't really hold water. But the mysterious thing is, what what is the explanation? The only, the, the only two explanations that really work are, there's people, there's a lot of people conspiring to make this up, or it happened. Yeah, and I think, well, I think that's the other interesting thing about Nikki. She you know, she didn't get defensive when we asked her about, well, you know, you were going through a stressful time. Could it be something that's psychological or something else? You know, and I, I think what impressed me, her attitude to that was, yeah, maybe maybe it was. All I know that we did this stuff and had these people around and it made a difference. I think also the, the other point that you made about, you know, there's nothing financially for her to gain in doing this. I thought that was interesting about her story because when she first started talking about clairvoyance and people coming round, you know, as as I was listening to the story, my first thought was, oh, yeah, so where's the money coming? Where's the, oh, if you want to get rid of this thing, then you need to buy this, buy that. But none of these people that came round accepted any money. You know, there may be a conspiracy theory that it's from the sage marketing board is the only people to profit from this. But yeah, yeah, you big know, sage, big sage. Yeah, <laughs> it's big sage money that's driving these kind of phenomena. But you know, I think that that was quite impressive. So every time I was listening to her story, and I thought, ah, yeah, but she would say something or explain something that made me go, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Well, there's one way that we could. Um, add some extra meat to the truth bones of this which is to look back at the history of her property which she hasn't done so I think we're going to take that as a side project and come back to that one because if we can find a history of that property where it shows that somebody called Reg lived there if there is a um, a wife who appears to be deceased these are all things which it's possible to find out, but we're going to have to do some digging and you have to ask, you know, how would, how would she know those things? Yeah, or even 
the fact that that her house was the basis of railway workers or something like that because I don't think she knew that in advance or or knew that when she moved in or or even subsequently knows that so again that would add some validity to the story if we can find out even if it was yes it was used by railway workers as a house even if we can't you know it might be quite difficult to find out you know Reg and his wife and all that tale but even if we can find the basics of Yes, it was a house that railway workers used or whatever. That gives some kind of credence to the story, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. Okay, so welcome back, Nikki. You are probably wondering why you're back so soon. But um, not not saying we've cracked it, but we definitely came up with some interesting stuff. And uh, Ben, why don't you start us off on the uh, journey that we've been through? Yeah. So the first thing that we did the most obvious thing was to go to Ilma and it's a very small place I don't think we'd appreciated what a small place it is it's very tiny and so we gravitated towards the church and as we were looking for Rach we decided to go around all of the gravestones in the church looking for a Rach and we were armed with the knowledge that Reg isn't just short for Reginald. It's it's short for Roland and all sorts of other names. But we didn't get anywhere. But that was just the first the first stop. We did go into the church. We did have a look around for records. But all we found were church leaflets and Bibles. And we looked around. It's a very atmospheric village, it's by lovely. the way. It's yeah. very lovely, yeah. yeah. And, and we were looking out for the footpaths that you described. It was, Did you find the one? Well, I, we found we found two, and so we're not sure which one it is, but we now know which is your house before the bridge, so I think we know which, which one it is. But then I discovered online a resource for uh, historians, and I got in contact with a Buckinghamshire specialist historian. Oh, cool. And we started looking at census records. And the censuses aren't particularly large. They get as far as about 74 people. So we were looking, uh, because they're every 10 years, we were looking at 1891 and 1901. And whenever they emailed them through, we were going through them almost feverishly looking for a reg. Of course, yeah. But what we found was lots and lots of farm workers and lots and lots of people who were classified as drovers or similar. But we didn't find a reg. But then I came a bit cleaner with our historian and said, look, what I'm looking for is this particular incident, a woman who was wronged by somebody whose husband took revenge. And that's when we got an email back saying, oh, I have heard about something like that, but it's been about 30 years. Let me go away and I'll come back to you. About 30 years since he's heard about yeah, it. Yeah, the, the historian... Well, the historian remembered something that sounded similar but couldn't remember where the documentation or anything oh, no, was no, okay. so so give me some time to kind of go back and have a look at it so in the meantime 
I, well, we both did. We both started thinking, well, let's go and research the local area. Um, so I did a little bit of research on Ilma as a village and found some interesting stuff. Nothing kind of spectacular, but mm. my first one, which really made me chuckle, is did you know Ilma was featured in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I really struggled to say. Well, I do. <laughs> you do and know that. I do know that because I cannot remember who told us it may well have been one of our neighbours at the top of the village but Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was a favourite of our children's because somebody had told us that it was in that and we'd watched it and there is a scene where the dad's uh, you know uh, truly scrumptious his dad is off on one and chasing after somebody and they're going down this country lane and these guys are trying to steal Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and they put like a false a false uh, screen over the top of the bridge that makes it look like it is the road Um, but they swerve off just in time and they swerve into the driveway oh really oh of your house of our house Ah. but our house wasn't built then so the house was existing is the one that's right next door to the track. The house that we lived in was not that house. It was the house that was to the side, which actually would figure if we're talking about animals and yeah. mulch right. <laughs> and well, all that sort of stuff. Well, we'll come on to that. I okay. mean, so the other, the other thing I found was... Uh, that Ilma was actually the main settlement in the whole of the area until the mid-1300s, when it was wiped out by the plague, by the Black Death, which immediately made me think of your ladies running up and down going, there's so much going on here. Oh, of course. So, I don't know, that I thought was really interesting, but it was... That was, you know, basically the main place within the in the local area. Good it was a, a huge settlement well, to the I mid 1300s. Because I know the church is really young, old, isn't it? It's 13th century or something. Yeah. You know, that's incredibly old. Yeah. I guess there's a couple of places in Towersy that are sort of around that age as yeah. well. Well, the other the other two things that came up when we talked to you last time. There was a lot around the animals. There was the mulch, which was kind of mentioned a lot. Um, the other thing I found out about the area was in the 1800s, it was used by drovers who used to take their animals to market. So it was used as a kind of place where you could shelter animals if the weather was bad while they were taking them to market to tame in the local area or London. So there were buildings there in the 1800s where animals would be stored, even if it be temporarily. Gosh. Which was quite interesting. That is very interesting. Um, There wouldn't have been any plans for where that was, would there? No, no. Plans, uh, yeah. Because, well, I'll come on, because after the 1800s, it's saying that the area was basically, there were very few private settlements there. So there were very few houses there. But what it was was uh, a lot of farmland, a lot of farm buildings. And I wrote something down while I was doing the research and I, I, I'd forgotten something you'd said. And when I listened back, it really struck me. There were a lot of flower nurseries there. And you were telling us about the first Absolutely. person coming, I'm sitting in a flower bed. Yes. 
So that really struck with me as because I, I thought flowers sitting in a flower bed, I'd immediately assumed oh it's somebody's front garden or whatever. Well, in in those days they didn't really grow flowers. That was like a sort of a luxury. Who had the time for that? Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was really interesting, and it, interesting. it was one of those things I'd, I'd written down and hadn't thought about. And then I was listening back and went, oh my god, she said, yeah, I'm sitting in a flower bed, which kind of would make sense. And actually, um, it was interesting because the sunlight would be on that bit right. for a lot of the day. Right. So it would be quite a, quite a good place to grow flowers, I should imagine. Yeah, yeah. But So we've got the animals with the kind of mulchy stuff, flowers. Um, and obviously later it was used as a place uh, for the railways. Okay. Um, there was an interesting bit that uh, I read in a history book which said that what people would, what they would do is bring mud and other stuff and soil from the local area to help build the embankments oh, really? of the railway. And there was a thing, there's a, a, a technique they used, I think it's called golden hoof or golden hoofing, right. where you basically take animals like sheep or um, horses or whatever and you get them to stand on the embankments and so bed down the soil it. so they're impacting it. So again, there would have been farm buildings there for even that bit, let alone transferring things like the the railway steel and stuff Good that they grief. used in construction. Yeah, so, so that they, was all going there on. would have been animals there then from the grassroots of even thinking about putting a railway there. Yeah, r- way back because it was yeah. farmlands, the flowers thing, and then when the railway came, there were animals there for the railway and used to help create the embankments and. When we saw, there are those big embankments, aren't there, that yeah, kind of go huge. up to where the bridge yeah. yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, in the meantime, you got an email back from your historian, right? Yeah, I did. So what she told me was there was an incident where a gentleman took revenge on two workers for doing wrong to his wife. No. Yeah. And... She didn't remember where this was. She knew it was close by. She knew it was close by, She yeah. didn't give us a name, but she said what was, what was really interesting. She said it was a double murder. Ooh. And that was what piqued our interest. I'm not surprised, it's piquing mine right now. So, we still don't know what they did to her, but he certainly went on and made a name for himself. Yeah. Now, so, I'm going to start this bit off by, I started thinking about, when basically we tried looking for Ed. We really really tried everywhere, but we started thinking, well, is Reg his real name? Could Reg be a middle name? Could it be a nickname? Uh, well, w- my father's called Peter, but his real name's Carl. Right. I've, I've got a friend um, called Joe who I'd known for about three years before I realised his name's actually Paul. He just doesn't like being called Paul. So we kind of felt we've only got this thing, Reg. We're not sure what it's short for. We don't know if it's his real name. This lead seems like a good one because it's yeah. railway workers. But, you know, you, when you're researching this, you're conscious of, are we just making the story fit what we I need? I know, yeah, of course. It always does run through your mind. You know, you, you explain it away, don't you? Yeah, exactly. 
So I started thinking, well, let's think about the statistics of this. So I found out that it kind of in the 1900s, which, you know, we were looking from the kind of mid-1850s to the kind of 1920s, 1930s, because that kind of fit the, the, the range that you were saying, and it tied in with construction of the railways. Yeah. Um, the murder rate in the whole of the country at that point was uh, one in 100,000 people. Um, and that was pretty stable throughout that whole period. Now, when we looked at the census, I looked at the census, the last census that you can look at from 1911, there were roughly in the Buckinghamshire area just over 200,000 people living there. So that kind of equates to... Narrowing it right down. It's two murders a year, right? Yeah. Now, if you then factor in what we knew about railway workers, location, you know... I don't know the math of this because it's difficult to calculate it, but if there are only two murders a year in the whole of Buckinghamshire and we've narrowed it down to a smaller location, the area in and around Ilmer, um, and railway workers, how many are there? And the thing is, I don't know whether Reg committed that crime there or he sought revenge somewhere else. Right. But that was where he resided. I don't know. So then I came across a couple of uh i started searching for this double murder railway this thing that this the historian was talking yeah. about and i found it <gasps> <laughs> i found it in a book on uh, an old book on murders in the area i found it uh in local newspapers which i managed to source so this guy's not called reg okay. let's start with that okay this guy that we're talking about it's called thomas gilbert okay um, now, his, he worked as a foreman plate layer on the railways. So a plate layer is, well, he oversaw and laid the tracks and maintained the tracks in the local area. And he lived in Little Kimball, yes, which it. is three miles from Ilma, as yes, the crow flies. I know it, yeah. Yeah, so it's close, right? Yeah. Now... He, his background really started in 1911 when he was working in the railways in Nottingham. So he wasn't from this area. Okay. Now, he accused a man called Elijah Parker of having intentions on his wife. Okay. Um, he also said that this man was trying to poison him, that he was trying to poison his tea and kill him, this Elijah. So and obviously somebody who was underneath him if he's supposed to be giving him tea. Yeah, correct, correct. So he accused him of this. There was a big to-do. They had, there was a kind of disciplinary hearing. But rather than discipline, what they decided to do was move this guy, Thomas Gilbert, to this area, to the Little Kimball, to, to, near, to near where you lived, effectively. So he moved uh, in that year, in 1911. So he was living in Little Kimball with his wife, Letty, which I believe is short for Lettuce at the time, which I didn't realise was a name, but incredible name. So, yeah, he's three miles from Ilmer at this point, and he's definitely working on the railway and likely to be working in the area that you, um, you were living at, because we've all seen that there's a kind of railway base there anyway. Absolutely. So, um, so yeah, he, he moved to Little Kimball with his wife and children. After a while... Uh, he had two men working for him and he started accusing them of stuff 
as well. Okay. So the 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 row between uh, Thomas Gilbert and these men started, and this sparked something in me as well. Started when Thomas Gilbert, the guy who goes on to commit the murder, accused one of the men of smoking on the job. Oh my god! <laughs> you know what's going yeah, through well my mind? Yeah. Cigarette smoke, yeah, smell. I get a smell of tobacco, right? Yeah. Oh, crikey. So this, this, so he said this, Thomas Gilbert, about this man. Um, he then apparently threatened this guy, a guy called Busby, um, who went to a supervisor of Gilbert's and said, you know, this guy's accusing me of all this stuff, can't work with him, um, in the meantime, Gilbert's saying that these guys, there's two guys, a guy called uh, Busby and a guy called Walter Tucker. He, this guy, Gilbert, is, is convinced that these two men are plotting against him and trying to kill them. He kill him. He also accuses them of poisoning his tea, which was he's got form <laughs> of doing in the past, right? He doesn't right? sound terribly stable, does he? So there was a hearing he- held on the 28th of August in 1914. Um... And it was to see whether this guy, Thomas Gilbert, should be fired from the railway. Now, one of the men, Busby, had, they'd got into an argument um, and Busby had threatened to hit him or punch him or something. So the railway didn't know quite how to deal with this because it's like, well, there's two sides to the story. So the hearing was adjourned for a couple of weeks' time while they kind of reevaluated and gathered what they were going to do. So the next day, early on August the 29th, Busby and Tucker are found murdered in a tool shed near the railway station in Little Kimball. Gilbert is arrested and confesses to the murder. I think, Ben, you've got what he said to the police when he was arrested. My name is Thomas Gilbert, and I reside at number three Icknield Cottages, Little Kimball and I'm a foreman plate layer on the Great Western and Great Central Railway. My length extends from the station to a mile on the other side of Marsh Crossing. I am married and have three children. I have got two men in my section. Their names are Charles Busby and Walter Tucker. Yesterday, we had an official inquiry through Busby wanting to fight me, but I have never struck him. After the inquiry yesterday, I heard Busby say, I shall get a revolver. He said that two or three times. He has threatened two or three times that he would do me in. He also told a man some time ago that he would put me over. The man was Wyatt of Smoky Row, Great Kimball. At 6.15 this morning, Saturday, August 29th, Charles Busby came into the cabin where I was. I had some suspicion that he had the revolver, which he had spoken about before. Being suspicious, I went for him and knocked him over with a pick shaft. The other man, Tucker, tried to hold me, but I knocked him over, also with the same weapon. I don't think I killed him either. I then went and informed the police that I had knocked them over. I did not know whether I had killed them. I got to my cabin at six o'clock, and Tucker arrived directly after me. So. Good Lord. So he was charged with murder. What's a pick shaft? Come on to that. He was charged with murder. Um, when it went to court, 
because he'd confessed, he basically pled insanity because... I know, that's an absolute confession. So yeah, I mean, the he, evidence must have been way stacked against him. It, well, it looks like a combination of some kind of loose self-defence, as in, I thought they were going to kill me, so I attacked them. But ultimately, he pleaded insanity because if he's found guilty of murder, it's the death penalty, right? So... But then a medical superintendent from Oxford County Lunatic Asylum, as they were called in those days, said at the trial that Gilbert suffered from delusions and is of unsound mind. So he kind of spoke up in his defence, um, uh, 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 basically. Um, so let's come on. You mentioned the weapon. Let's come on to the weapon. Yeah. Because there are two things about the weapon where I was researching and had a little bit of a oh my god moment when we were going around Ilma I, I was saying to Ben I don't get this description of the, the weapon why wouldn't you just hit somebody with a stick or stab them with a knife I don't understand why you would make a weapon out of the two and we kind of debated it quite a lot didn't yeah, we yeah we did yeah um so and I was going I just I just don't understand it then when I was going through the transcripts of the trial, I found a quote from the first witness, which, well, I'll see what your reaction is to this because it just blew me away. Gilbert's neighbour was called as a witness because he'd seen Gilbert leaving for work in the morning that the murders were committed. He said, I saw Gilbert leave at 6.45 for the station. He was carrying his stick, as he always did. <laughs> oh, there you go. Which... Now, the other thing was, in his confession, he talks about this kind of pick, pick handle, but they're not sure that he committed the crime with that because they found a bag that he'd abandoned near the murder scene and it contained what's called a keying hammer. Now, I didn't know what a keying hammer was, so did a bit of kind of research and Googling. I know you're not going to be able to hear this on the podcast, um, but we're going to show Nikki what a keying hammer is, and then maybe Ben, if you can kind of describe it. So this is the head of a keying hammer. So a keying hammer is a long piece of wood, like a hammer handle, but very much longer. God. And on the end are various interchangeable heads uh, that are very hammer-like, but they are very much sharper than a normal hammer. That's definitely sharper. Yeah. And you attach them to the shafts. Oh some, uh, some of them, not all of them, but you attach them to the shaft. And they, they only found the key hammer head. So the implication being that he'd taken maybe this, this pickaxe shaft and he'd put one of the heads from his keying hammer onto the shaft and committed the murder. Oh, my God. So, again your two ladies who came round saying he made a weapon with a... It, that explained to me... Very, 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 very close. Too close for it to be a coincidence. And you see, the thing is, of course, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, oh, my God, oh, my God, that's just... It's just too... But, but it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. Because none of it surprises me anymore. You know, because Theo is not suffering any of that and he's not even scared by it now even yeah. going over it you know it's just incredible well they didn't buy his defense of insanity 
So he was found guilty. Right. He was sentenced to death. Um, his final words, he he kind of reiterated the story he'd given that, you know, he thought they were going to kill him. He stuck to that. But the last thing he said was he quoted the Lord's Prayer, which made me think about... Yeah, how he was... Oh, I've got those goosebumps going up my right <laughs> arm now. How he was scared to yeah. pass over to the other side. And this is what other people have told me, is that, you know, you can make a decision. Uh, you go to your final resting place, give your soul a break before you go into the next world uh, and face everything and, and come to... Or you stay in what what I suppose some people would call hell, although I'm not sure I believe in heaven and hell, which is you're stuck. Yeah. Well, interestingly, um, he launched an appeal. Um and again, pushed this thing of, you know, he, he was, it was an insanity defence again. Um, and in the book I read about the murder, um, the, the guy who was writing it, I think rightly, was claiming, I think in these days he may be kind of diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic because he was, he had all these conspiracy, people were all out to get him. There's a lot that makes sense of them, of that. Um, and, uh the jury agreed and they basically reduced his sentence from a death sentence uh, and he was sent to, to a Broadmoor. They, would they think, they think. It's not 100% sure. They're pretty sure he was sent to Broadmoor. So then I started to think about, oh, sorry, he, he was sent to Broadmoor, but he died in a place called Bashford in Nottinghamshire in his home county. Back where he became from. In 1938. Okay, so many years later. Yeah, quite a few years later. So I don't know, in the meantime, I, I think if he'd have died in Broadmoor, he would have been registered as being... Dead there. Dead there, yeah, rather yeah, than... Yeah, there would have been a record. There would have had to have been a record, right? So it, so it seems like he was uh, released. Now, I then started thinking about his wife, um, which is quite a dangerous thing to do, I know. Careful. <laughs> 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 um, so I, I thought I'd try and find her on any kind of death records or whatever. Idea. So I did a search for... Uh, there are a few uh, variations on the, the shortened name for, for Letty. There's Lettuce, there's some others. Uh, surprisingly, there was quite a lot of Letty, Lettuce, whatever, Gilberts came up. So just on a whim, I narrowed it down to Nottinghamshire. Oh, yeah. Now... There was a Lettuce A. Gilbert who died aged 74 in 1942 in Bashford in Nottinghamshire, the same place that he died. So he's obviously gone back. So it sounded like he's gone back, she's forgiven him, you know, because originally I was thinking, well, maybe she'd moved to Ilma, trying to find this direct Ilma connection. These ladies were very convinced that they were besotted with each other. That's interesting. This couple. Right. So... She would have wanted him to come back to her, I think, but just by what they were saying. Right. Gloria came out of that room crying with joy that she had done some good yeah. because these two loved each other like beyond human measure. Wow. Because well, I just kept thinking, 
this poor woman has been through all this stuff. She's in a place that, you know, she's been there a couple of years, but it's a place that's not her home. Her husband's been arrested for these murders. She's somehow connected in it because of, the, you know, his delusions. Um, I, I, cause I was thinking, did she move to Ilmore or something? And you think, no, you just go home, wouldn't you? And yeah, it, so it makes sense. Yeah. Especially if you've um, got two children and you're a woman yeah. whose husband is in prison in those days. That was... You know, you were looked down upon. Yeah, for and, that. And I, you know, there's no record of him being released from prison. It's just the the death thing, which is place of death, which kind of makes sense. Um, you know, but, but you perhaps think... if he was in prison under insanity, there would have been some kind of uh, you know, relaxation on a sentence, surely. So perhaps they'd have thought, well, yes, he's insane, but he's not as insane as some of the other insane people yeah, we've yeah. got here. Let's just let him go or something. But, you know, I, I just thought, God, that Letty, his wife, if, if that is her, but it seems very likely that it is, um, what she'd been through, and it seems that she took him back. So it kind of ties in with what you're just saying about, you know, the kind of besotted nature of their relationship. Yeah. So that's that's the key stuff we found, apart from... <laughs> When, when I was doodling on my notepad and writing down uh, Thomas Gilbert, Thomas Gilbert, and I started playing around with anagrams. It's not a, it's not a full anagram, but you can make an a- anagram out of it that says Tom is Reg. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> oh, my God. So, yeah, that's what we found out. <laughs> Oh, this is a huge heap of stuff. I had no idea you were going to go away and do all of this stuff. And that just just makes so much sense. Does that does it kind of feel yeah, that that's does. the story? It does. Okay. It definitely feels that it's the story. Because ultimately, Gloria and Maria didn't give me heaps of information. And to be honest, they weren't looking for heaps of information. They were looking to rid me of the trouble that I was going through and the children were going through. So, you know, if, if I'd have asked them at the time some of these questions, it would have been so interesting to know. Yeah. But, yeah, so many things ring true. And I don't need convincing that, yeah. that this is the truth of it, uh, meaning that that is exactly what was going on in my house. But having extra facts just like this is 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 very I don't know, it's just it's just reassuring, isn't it? It's just another reassurance that that, you know, well I was already sold, but I mean uh, you know, I think all any kind of skeptical bit in my mind about is this the person that we're talking about, you know, the doing the statistical account of you know two murders a year in the whole of Buckinghamshire tying in railways tying in the area I mean I I, I, I don't know some kind of a crime of passion yeah and and the weapon the weapon bit just blew me away that just yeah the the piece that I'm looking for and I think the only way to do it is to probably talk to the psychics is to find out whether Thomas called himself Reg, yeah. or people called him Reg. But as we all agree, that wouldn't be beyond the realms Absolutely. at all. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing was interesting, talking um, to the historian, the local historian, uh, they were saying that 
actually Reg at that time in the south of England wasn't a very common name. So, and we and we saw that going through the census information. We couldn't find a Reg, any Reg, you know, anywhere in the local area or even wider. I think we went kind of in the whole of Buckinghamshire census. I mean, you know, everything. So yeah, I mean, it could have even been a pet name, couldn't it? Pet name from his wife or something. You know, who knows? Yeah. And like, and like you said, it would be good, you know, because I think we, when we start investigating it, we were we were very literal, yeah. you know, it's Reg and it's going to be in this kind of, you know, uh, acre <laughs> of land and it's got to be something tied with there. But would you we like don't know me to? Um, would you like me to see if I can get in touch with Amy and and would you like to talk to her and? talk to the ladies and all of that kind of stuff would that be of interest to it would you? be great yeah it would yeah. be great i think that'd be amazing yeah a- amy's just divine you'd you'll love her um she's very quirky uh, but knowing what you know about her you'll be totally cool with that yeah yeah because uh, i know that you guys are interested in that sort of thing anyway yeah um she's absolutely lovely um and very interesting i think the other thing to say is after we talk to you, we've gone, right, we're going to look into this stuff. Um, and there's a bit of you that goes, right, we'll do a quick Google and we'll find it all. No, you won't. And, 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 no, you won't. And we, and we didn't. And, it, no. and I'll tell you what, I'm glad we didn't, because if you did, then it would be easier to kind of write off. Ah, absolutely. Finding this stuff was not easy. No, it but wasn't. But isn't that lovely, because it's so rare to, to have a project like that. and to it, it, Isn't it more satisfying? Yeah, definitely. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like I said, I was, you know, I think both of us are quite conscious of, you know, are we kind of knocking this square peg into a round hole? But there was enough there to make us go, it's pretty, there's some pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. We're not uh, saying we cracked it, but there's some pretty interesting stuff. I like to um, uh, uh, think about life as sort of doors opening and doors closing. And it seems very much from your journey that there were lots of doors opening for you to be able to source those kinds of information. You know, there was definitely enough in there that from my story or from my experience, you could latch on to any one of those pieces into that, you know. And I think if there wasn't, I don't know, maybe I am a bit quirky myself, but... I feel if doors are closing and you cannot find anything and this, this, that and the other, then it just wasn't meant to be. Mm. Yeah. There's there's too many similarities mm. for it to come up. There is... There's, it, it goes back to what we were saying in episode one. There is no reason because nobody took any money. No. And the research, even to turn up as something as... Uh, simple as understanding that Ilma was a place where people grew flowers. That was not yes, an easy sir. fact to find. No, even the things I knew, I knew it was in the Doomsday Book. Mm. I knew about the plague. Um, I didn't know about the flowers. Right, right. Uh, Amy, I, I, I kept knew. I kept thinking as well yeah. that kind of there's there's I think it's a police thing that they do saying, you know. Witnesses who get all the facts right, they're very suspicious of because mm. it, it sounds rehearsed. I think there's there's an, <laughs> yeah. there's enough bits which that you know we haven't got a whole story. There. There's nothing we can say. It That's happened definitely. It that. happened under your house, and here's this guy called Thomas Reg Gilbert. You know, 
But, you know, in a way that makes me feel like, yeah, as long as there's enough to kind of tie it in, and I think the statistics, how close it is to the place, mm. the weapon, the railway stuff, it's enough to make you go, oh, it's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that the the psychics were saying that he was wanting to go and join his wife. So, obviously, she'd done... She seemed to have, by all accounts on the records, led a blameless life, and he was defending her. That kind of makes intellectual sense that he's worried she's over there yeah. and he's worried about going over there I would love to know what was said to him to convince mm. him to go over there yeah from Gloria yeah yeah right yeah. Or, exactly. or the you know what I was saying the guilt of what he's effectively put her through with his delusions I mean maybe his kind sure. of delusions were cured and that's why he was released and maybe he's realised oh my god but also we don't know you know okay poison in tea and all of that kind of stuff you know that was kind of that kind of stuff happened a lot during those days and we don't know what she was like she could have been an incredibly beautiful woman that most men would feast their eyes on and if you're with somebody like that you can often feel like everyone wants to steal your wife can't you? So, I mean, you know, it's all plausible. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be insane to be no, exactly. feeling that. I know plenty of people who aren't that insane, who yeah. who get really jealous and, and invent all sorts of things in their minds. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you. No. Thank no, you. Is, uh, that has been a joy to look into. It really has. I mean, we thought, we literally thought we're going to go there and yeah, there was some farm buildings. That was <laughs> what we thought we were going to come back with. And it was going to be a footnote to episode one. But the fact that we found all this stuff is great. You know how I talk about doors opening and stuff, but it's quite funny, isn't it, that as neighbours, I can't even remember how we got talking about all of this stuff. We were walking our dogs <laughs> down to the park. There you go. Mm. And it just... Came. Did I just start talking about it? No, you uh, you said, are you walking your dog around the park? And I said, no, I'm meeting my friend Peter in the pub. We're That's doing, it! We're doing pre-production on a podcast, and you said, what's it about? That's it! And I said, don't laugh, it's the paranormal. And you said, well, here's a story. So there you go. That's what I'm talking about, doors yeah, yeah. opening. Those kind of connections being blissfully and innocently made it's yeah. it's it's all uncanny well it's been quite a quite a journey and uh yeah a real revealing one i think well i wonder whether any of this sort of resonates through to reg on the other side and oh yeah this maybe. is yeah m- maybe maybe this is all part of part of something that was was meant to be gosh yeah, yeah. interesting yeah well, I mean, we'll uh, we'll keep digging away at these kind of stories. It's it's definitely been yeah fun well, to do. It sounds it sounds like there might be a part three as well. <laughs> yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But once again, Nikki, thank you. So oh, much. you're welcome. Thank you very much. And let's be very suspicious about anyone with a stick. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Or mulchy. <laughs> mulchy. Mulchy stick people. <laughs> yeah. yeah, excellent. Plenty well, of those around. <laughs> 
Well, we'll catch you next time on The Quantum Mechanics. Next time. Thank you. Quantum mechanics.